Hey everyone and welcome to Between the Lines with Ogo J, where we go between the lines of your favorite books and mine. Welcome all to episode two of the season. Really excited to be back. Really excited about this episode. I feel like this episode is very moving and very relevant and it really resonated with me a whole lot. So if you could not tell from the title, today's episode is a meet the author interview with someone very near and dear to my heart. Today's author is Akuna Okiri. She is a licensed social worker who specializes in adult behavioral and mental health services and consultations. She has her master's of social work and she is licensed through the Pennsylvania State Board of Social Workers, Marriage and Family Therapists and Professional Counselors. So she is a licensed social worker as of September 2020, I believe, but we'll get into that. So congratulations, Akuna. She's also my cousin. And she wrote a, an ebook earlier this year that I thought would resonate with a lot of people um, because it touched on, you know, mental health in this COVID era. So before we intro the book that we are going to be getting in today, I wanted to drop a little bit of a trigger warning. Uh, This episode does contain mentions of suicide. So for those who are sensitive to that topic or that might be a triggering topic for them, I just wanted to put out this warning. Maybe this episode is not for you, but we do talk about mental health, um, some best practices, um, and, and really just the experience of of struggling and and dealing with uh, mental health issues throughout this COVID-19 period. So in the summer of 2020, Akuna's close friend actually lost a very long battle with their mental health. They committed suicide and it was you know, something that was very difficult to process, of course, for everyone who was around this gentleman, his friends, his family. And in that healing process, healing from that grief, uh, Akuna took to writing. And she wrote an ebook that's called Maneuvering What Remains After Suicide, The Seven Stages of Grief. And in this book, she discusses the the seven stages of grief, grief, which were first theorized by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. And she speaks through her experiences with these stages, her, you know, actual feelings and, and how she processed each of these individual stages. And I just thought it was so profound um, that in her healing or or were were essentially able to read or feel her healing process through this ebook. It's uh, a short ebook. It's like uh, eight or nine pages and it's available on Etsy. I'll drop the link to the ebook in the show notes. So it's a quick read, but like I said, it's the read is a, a testament of her healing from this very, very tragic process. And I wanted to make this an episode on this show because we have had such a tumultuous year on so many fronts, a year that no one could have expected. We didn't walk into 2020, you know, 
knowing that we would go into a lockdown that is still going on. And that's scary. It's terrifying. And, you know, what's even scarier is, is that, of course, this pandemic and COVID has, has really challenged a lot of people's mental health. It really has. But it's scary to think that, you know, people have had already have had long-standing challenges with their mental health and the pressure that COVID puts on them, you know, sometimes it's just too much to bear. So I wanted to have Akuna on the show, one, because of course she's an author, (laughs) but also because she has a background uh, that works with, you know, behavioral uh, behavioral health patients. She has a background that works with mental health in a certain regard. And I wanted to kind of have a broader conversation around uh, mental health and especially mental health in this COVID period uh, using this book uh, as a foundation. So yeah, I, I wanted to bring Akuna on the show to, you know, really, you know, discuss this book, discuss this experience and the the moving through the seven stages of grief, as well as talk about, you know, some of the mental health challenges that have really been highlighted by COVID. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Between the Lines. So we have a guest today. Today, we are going to be talking to a Kanokiri, a licensed clinician in Pennsylvania. Hi, Kuna. How are you? Hi, I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing really well. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, Kuna, like I said, she's been my cousin, um, in-law in a way. I call it my extended in-law, but uh, she is, like I said, a licensed clinician in PA, and she wrote a really, uh, just really nice and comprehensive body of work that I was interested in looking at about the healing process and grieving through her own personal experience with loss, the loss of her friend, uh, her friend who committed suicide last summer. So I thought that it would be really helpful to one, we can talk through this book and her, you know, her work and how that kind of influenced this writing, uh, but is also really trying to talk about the, the range of loss that people have experienced within the last year um, and really how to, Uh, work within ourselves for that healing process throughout this pandemic. So that's what we're going to be getting into a little bit today. Akuna wrote a, I would call it, would you call it a book or would you call it an essay, an ebook? Yes, I would probably call it like it is an ebook. So it's not as like um, robust as a regular like novel per se, but it is also like an essay as well. Yes. 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 So she wrote an ebook that is available online through Etsy. I'll be pasting the link to the ebook in the show notes, but it's called Maneuvering What Remains After Suicide, The Seven Stages of Grief. So tell us a little bit about the ebook, a little bit about the background, what caused you to write it and really what was that writing process for you like? Sure. So um, the ebook itself was just a random idea that probably ran across my mind um, three days prior to publishing it. So I was listening to um, this app Clubhouse and I was just listening to the different, 
accounts that people had that were they were discussing different ways that they you know grow their brand and grow their business and things like that and um they were talking about you know just sitting down and writing um <clears throat> a piece that just kind of exemplifies how they're feeling or what exactly their brand represents so i was thinking like oh an ebook that's interesting i've never you know written an ebook before but i do enjoy writing um, i've always been like a pretty strong writer in college and also in high school in grad school as well so I was like, okay maybe i should write something so in that moment i just um, opened my Google Docs and just typed out everything I was feeling in related in relation to like my friend who passed away and I was like oh this is pretty good so I was like hmm, maybe I'll publish an ebook so I just went on Fiverr and found an editor and then I also found a graphic designer to um, bring it all together like within the week basically um, what I enjoy about writing ebooks um, is that it's pretty inexpensive all you have to really do is have the idea and you know you can partner with other people to bring your idea to life so um, it was it was a really, really nice representation of how I felt. And I was at that time struggling to get through all the stages of grief. And interesting enough, after I wrote the ebook itself, I found more like solace and peace in the situation at hand. And also after writing it, I was reading through my stages and I was like, wow, I had no idea this is how I was feeling. But seeing it all written down all together was, you know, really refreshing for me. And I like to look back on it sometimes like I just read it again before we started talking so I can have a fresh reminder of you know just how okay it is to you know not have the same life that you had before before uh, prior to somebody passing away yeah so that was nice definitely I, I feel like you know we hear all the time about how jur- how therapeutic journaling is and how it can really be a, a good way to kind of address and um really put your thoughts into order about, you know, whatever it is you might be going through. And what I found really, you know, admirable about this was that in a way, as you're describing, you know, the the stages of healing from grief, you know, we're also reading your writing about this. And we can tell almost that the writing was, you know, a part of that stage of relief, you know, to, as it came to the end, the end, like, you know, the acceptance and, and being able to move forward and beyond. And we can see that this book in itself, this ebook in itself was an example of you healing from this, your example of you going through that healing process. So that was super admirable. And I think it's, it's important that we have these kind of conversations because they're tough already. And it's almost like the pandemic makes it a little bit harder to maneuver because we're all going through this very, you know, new part of history. None of us have ever experienced this. And now we're experiencing this very new thing against the backdrop of trauma and loss and grief. Um, So I, I definitely thought that was very admirable. Before we kind of get back into the actual book, I wanted to talk a little bit about your background, the work that you do, um, and, and kind of how you got into your work. Sure. So I am a licensed social worker in the state of Pennsylvania. Um, I received my license of social work in September of 2020 this past year. So majority of my, thank you. The majority of my experience is with um, children, um, teenagers, young adults, and adults well into their adulthood into, you know, 50s and 60s across the spectrum between um, autism spectrum disorder um, all the way to bipolar disorder. A mm-hmm. lot of, in, um, the majority of the individuals I work with have um, co-occurring disorders. So a lot of them have, um, are diagnosed with 
intellectual disability as well as maybe bipolar disorder, things of that mm -hmm. nature. So currently I'm an assistant clinical director at a nonprofit here in Pennsylvania, um, in central Pennsylvania. I've been here, for, I've been at that company for about three years. So I do a lot of um, supervisions, a lot of training. I train staff a great deal. I attend a lot of meetings. I, you know, crunch a lot of numbers, pull data. Um, a lot of times I do a lot of annual reports, you know, mm -hmm. providing information to the counties and different people on the team that maybe need data, entities related to any kind of behavior interventions. Mm -hmm. I partner a lot with psychiatrists. Um, if there's any problematic behavior that may be needing fine tuning, things of that nature. Mm -hmm. But it's um, a mixture of social work in relation to providing the service and also looking at the service across various systems. And it's also a lot of psychology applying the, um, the knowledge that you learn at the basic level to you know people of various backgrounds. Okay, it sounds, sounds really interesting. That's really fulfilling, I would say, being able to kind of see the spectrum of behavior disorders and the ways people are kind of impacted by their, their mental health or, you know, whatever disorder they might have. And, and was this something that you always kind of knew you were going to get into it or did it kind of just fall into your lap and it seemed really interesting? Yeah, so that's a great question. So I actually wanted to always be a nurse when I, well, when I was younger, I wanted to be a doctor, right? Everybody wants to be a doctor, <laughs> right? And then when I was probably about like 15, I was like, oh, you know what? I think I'm going to be a nurse instead, you know? So obviously, like, as I'm getting older into the teenage years, I'm like, mm, <laughs> I like the medical field, but do I really like it or am I just, you know? Yeah. And then, so I started, um, I started like my general education, like freshman year, um, for like nursing and it was like anatomy physiology biology I'm like yeah this is uh this is not gonna work <laughs> so yeah. then um simultaneously I guess luckily for me um a lot of the programs at school that will shall not be named whereas a lot of their programs were losing accreditation so mm -hmm. if anybody doesn't really know what that means like you know if you don't if you attend an accredited program that means like you know if you want to go for um, a master's or any kind of further education that some programs only require you to like get your degree from a certified like university and if it's not certified you have to do extra mm, stuff to then wow. get a higher you know degree if that's what you want yeah. so I'm like oh like a lot of the degree programs will be accreditation like that's not good and I kind of don't like the school anyway so I'm just going to transfer so I transferred back um into central PA which I'm actually from like uh, Montgomery County outside of Philadelphia but I live in Central PA now um, so I transferred to a school here and I was like okay well I'm not going to do nursing because that was terrible so I was like well maybe I'll try psych mm -hmm. and then I was like well maybe I'll do social work and then it just that it just stuck with me so I went to like my first social work class I remember it was online mm -hmm. it was like social work 102 it was about like um the fundamentals of social work and I was like oh this is fun you know we're learning about like Jane Adams and like um, the women's rights movements and stuff like that. And I remember because I was in my dorm room and I was what, what was I, like 18 and I was like, oh, wow, this is nice. I like yeah. this. And then ever since then, I'm hooked, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, no, yeah. that that's, I feel like that's, um, you know, when you spoke to, you know, everybody wants to be a doctor. I feel like that, yeah. especially when you're like the Nigerian kid, it's like, that's kind right. of where you start. You're like, yeah, no, I'm going to be a medical doctor. I'm going to be a medical doctor. By the time you get to college, it's a whole nother story. I completely went left. I was like, okay, accounting and finance. 
but yeah, no, thank you for sharing, sharing that background. So you mentioned like you kind of went through like psych and social work and this book is about losing someone, of course, that had a battle with mental health. And um, not to skip through the stages here, because we are going to go through each of the stages that you lifted, listed out, but you did speak in your book about like the guilt of it all and kind of, but you spoke to kind of the guilt as a friend, like, you know, what did I miss? You know, what could I have I done better? But when it comes to your career being something that you work really closely with certain disorders, how was that? you know, that struggle or that obstacle of kind of being like, wow, like this is something that I am, you know, taking on in a professional capacity and here it is right in front of me. Um, how, how was that process for you? The process itself was very interesting. Um, and it, it was also sad and difficult because I guess I would say like, you know, I work with individuals who have so multiple, you know, different diagnoses, and they've had treatment their entire lives, right? Mm -hmm. So they've maybe been in the system their entire lives from maybe when they were three years old to 50 years old. Now they've always had like, whether it's county assistance, state assistance, there's always been some type of, there's always been some type of um, backup plan for them. There's always been the next step for them. You know, once you turn 21 in like adult um, intellectual disability services, you can, you know, apply for different waivers and different kinds of like supports, you know, Mm -hmm. I guess this situation was a little different because I, we did meet later in life. Right. So like I was probably 20 turning 21. Yeah. I believe he was, he was five twenty as well. Yeah. Right. So like we, we had already lived like two decades not knowing each other, you know? So it was difficult because the way that it manifests itself was um, gradual um, from my perspective, because I didn't, obviously I didn't know a lot about him when I met him, you know, as a friend, you get to know people more and more, Mm -hmm. but apparently this was something that was present in his life for a while, you know? So even before he and I became friends, it was present. So that was also difficult for me because, you know, if I'm in your life for this season as your friend, like, what can I do to help you? And, you know, there were times I did help and things like that, but mm-hmm. it, it was difficult for me because it's, it's difficult because the battle that was being fought was a battle that was way before my time. You know what yeah. I mean? So yeah, there wasn't much that I could have done to make the situation different in general, because unfortunately those are the cards that were dealt, you know? Yeah. And, and even that, that was thinking, difficult. Like it's already really hard to, <laughs> talk about mental health in general and when it's something that you've been struggling with a long time I can see that you know you're not gonna be able to tell the full story to someone who you've met you know later on in life or it's going to be harder to tell that full story too absolutely so this and in this ebook she kind of explains the stages of healing so I think a lot of us might be familiar with the seven stages of grief which are shock and denial pain and guilt so shock and denial is one two is pain and guilt three anger and bargaining four depression and five the upward turn six reconstruction and working through it 
and seven, acceptance and hope. So I think it's something that we're all, people are for the most part familiar that there are stages of grief, stages of healing from grief. But through Akuna's experience losing a close friend of hers, she was able to put in words kind of how she worked through her stages, how even she identified these stages of grief um, in order to work through them. So if you don't mind, Akuna, I kind of wanted to talk through the seven stages really briefly uh, and kind of get a feel for kind of how the experience was now writing this, this piece or being able to put into words what this stage really felt like for you. So in the shock and denial piece, you talk about kind of the moment you found out, you know, something that a day that was, you know, really, you know, enjoyable, really like a day that you were with your family. Um, and then you find this news. Explain, or if you don't mind talking through, what was it like now going back and putting this into words, now writing about it? You know, were, was it triggering in any, in any, you know, state? Did you still feel remnants of that shock and denial? That is a great question. Um, when I think about it now, I just, I see it as um, a transparent and reflective situation. So mm-hmm. it's interesting to me because like, I believe that there was a reason that I found out right there, right now. Like, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. Um, like I said, we were singing happy birthday to my baby brother. He's not a baby. He, was, he turned 15. Um, and then it was just like, I ha- I needed that abundance of people around me at that exact time because oh, like, yeah. do you know what I'm saying? So yeah. I believe that it was more strategic because when I found out, it had already been probably like almost a week. Oh, so. Wow. I believed, I believed that like in that, mo- in those moments, like my steps were guided because I don't know how else I would have felt if I would have found out, let's say at work or like, yeah. let's say, you know, at home alone, you know, and I think I needed that abundance because I, I do live alone. So mm-hmm. I think like the way that, you know, things played out, it was best for me to find out when I was surrounded by all of my loved ones as well, because I needed that even if it was even if I couldn't even focus on my environment in that moment like having the abundance of just people that you love around you during a, like a tra- finding out something tragic is very important. Yeah, definitely. And, and I didn't even so, like think about yeah. it in that in that way. The fact that you were around so many people when all of this was happening and I guess from your experience from your professional experience, I guess would you be able to speak through speak to the importance of a support system, uh, especially in traumatic situations, traumatic dealings? I know, you know, some of us people are people are very different in general. There's people who like, you know, extroversion versus introversion, people who can get their energy from being around people and people who don't. So let's say for the naturally introverted person, the naturally, you know, isolated person in this kind of case of a traumatic happening is there any where any situation where isolation might be positive or is it your suggestion that a strong support system is necessary? It's a great question. Um, I would say that everyone, everyone in everyone's life is all about balance. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you touched on some great points related to like introverted and extroverted. And I would love to say like, I'm a mixture of both, you know, mm-hmm. like I am somebody, I love to be around people often I like to talk I like to converse but then I also can get drained easily um, depending on how the conversation goes even like living alone 
it, like I, I like look at see that as like isolation sometimes because mm-hmm. I live alone. I don't live with anybody else. But then for me, it's easy for me to, you know, get that connection if I just pick up the phone and like, hey, what are you doing? You know, mm-hmm. or like, I want to talk to somebody today. I'm going to call whoever, you know, my mm-hmm. my sister or my brother or my mom or whatever. Um, but I would say isolation can be difficult and negative if we as people haven't figured out what type of energy we need to thrive. Mm-hmm. So if somebody is going through a hard time or struggles with accountability or struggles with self-care mm-hmm. or struggles with any kind of mental health disorders, isolation can be very, very dangerous, mm-hmm. uh, very triggering because there's no type of insight. There's no type of, there's no, there's no, there's no kind of energy coming in. Now, yeah. you know, some people will choose self-isolation because they don't know how to manage their emotions or they don't want to manage those, their emotions in, the, in that moment. And that's a little different because I feel like sometimes when people self-isolate, they acknowledge, you know what, these are my emotions right now. I can't go through them. And if I go through them, it's gonna not, it's not gonna end well. Or I might, mm. you know, verbally aggress towards somebody or I might get angry. So I'm just gonna self-isolate and when I'm ready, I will, you know. So there's so many sides to isolation. Yeah. Everyone's personality is different. I will say that if people are already isolated, like if they live alone or if they just don't have a lot of people in their corner support system wise, it can be dangerous if you do struggle with mental health because sometimes when you feel alone, you feel like that's the end. Like there's nobody else. There's nothing else for you. You know, if you, if you're alone, you feel like, okay, well, I might, I'm going to be alone forever kind of thing. Not really seeing like past the big picture, you know, I think like, especially with COVID and everything like that, people working from home, you know, there's just so much going on, like with the current administration that just, you know, Mm gratefully left you know the current um state of the government and the white house and everything like that like that takes a toll on people that i feel like a lot of people don't don't really notice at all so i would say like the whole like the whole year has just been like a very difficult for a lot of people and i think isolation in particular is something that people overlook Mm. um working with the adult population um, a lot of them, majority of them live in like, you know, regular single family homes with like a housemate and they have staff 24 yeah. seven. And even, you know, we, we, as an agency, we engage them all the time. Like we have, you know, online activities every day at the same time, you know, we, you know, encourage them to zoom and Skype and FaceTime with people like call yeah. on the phone, check up on, because isolation, isolation is a lot. Isolation yeah. is a lot especially when people aren't able to advocate for what it is that they needed, they don't know, Mm. then, you know, it can be detrimental in different ways. That was really helpful. And there's a couple of things that I want to circle back to. Like, so it's, I'm gonna try to be a little bit more, um, what's my word? Uh, Transparent. So, you know, for me, this, this pandemic has been really interesting. I, I've always had my own things that I struggle with, my own anxieties, uh, my own, you know, my own seasons of depression. I am in therapy. Uh, I have been in therapy since like 2018 now. And, you know, what I found in this COVID-19 era, especially with work from home, like the fact that I'm, I'm home 24 seven and I do, um, while people might view me as extroverted, I'm a little bit more introverted. So I do love being in my home. I do love being in my room and I'm realizing now without, with everything on pause and during this pandemic, not being able to go about my daily life, there's a lot of people that I do not see anymore. Um, whether there's the people that I saw at work, people that I would usually see after work, um, just people who I would see a little bit more consistently. I don't see a lot of people anymore. 
And I've almost like gotten really okay with it in a way where it's, it's felt like, you know, I've, I feel like I've been able to at least kind of process my own mental health better, like being by myself all the time. But then also when you were talking about isolation, I realized it's like, you know, without any real plan for my isolation, really, I'm just sitting up in my room doing nothing, not talking to anyone. And I guess from, from your perspective, someone who, who already has their own mental health struggles and now is already kind of trying to find that balance in their life between being able to isolate or being able to interact you know, what would you, because I still have friends who are struggling too, you know, and, you know, how do you, how do you suggest approaching that kind of conversation still? Um, Or in other words, like advice for the people, like we're all, we're kind of all struggling with our mental health, but we also 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 have to kind of make sure we're keeping tabs on our other friends who are struggling with their mental health. So it's like, how, how do you best do that? You know, how do you find that balance? Um, in, in this, in this COVID world, especially? That's a great question. I think, I think, you know, any friendship or relationship like moves with intention. So like we have to be intentional about wanting to check in. So even if it means on a Sunday, you know, a less crowded time at like, you know, the park near your house, your friend comes down, you, you guys link and just go for a walk and just talk the entire time, like mm. things like that, you know, because there's not many options, you know, you can't, you don't really want to go to dinner. You don't really want to, it's not summer. You can't go to the beach. You can't go swimming. There's nothing you can really do. Mm-hmm. Um, but just being intentional because oftentimes people aren't going to always want to FaceTime or talk on the phone because that's been, that's been the mantra for the year. People are over it, you know? Yeah. So what I do like with my friends that are um, local to the area that I've known since college, we just, you know, sometimes we'll just link up at a random place or like, you know, she has a dog. So maybe I'll just meet her at the dog park and the dog is playing and we're just talking, things mm-hmm. like that. You know, mm-hmm. I think it's important for people to also, right now, it's really important for people to be creative as well because yeah. before, we're like, okay, you want to get drinks or do you want to do this? You want to do that? Like, you yeah. know, that's not really an option, a safe option anymore. Yeah. So, you know, we have to, you know, encourage people people to do what they love and also see if like they're willing to come out of their comfort zone to do things that you guys don't usually do you know like mm-hmm. or you know what I'm trying to say yeah no I, I definitely it, it's think difficult. it's so important it's to difficult. be creative like it, and it's and it's like it's hard enough as it is because it's like I feel like I was going through my life we, we were all going through life not really having to be that creative like you'll see the people you'll see friends at work you'll see people in your classes you'll see people on your day-to-day but now there's just now this this now need to have to be a little creative and I definitely get what you what you were saying because I'm not like I said I'm not a phone I'm not a FaceTime person but I never really had to be because for the most part, I could see the people, like I would see friends at work. I would see my friends when we would link up. So I definitely get that. And I definitely am still trying to find that balance. And, you know, as I am getting back into my therapy sessions uh, early February, but it's definitely something that I really want to mm. explore because it's like how, you know, that trying to find, be, being accountable for yourself, but then also being accountable for your relationships and how mm-hmm. to maintain those relationships with everything that's going on. Um, mm-hmm. so no, thank you for that insight. So in this, uh, chapter or part of the ebook, you mentioned how you had just spoken to your friend about a week prior. And I like what you said. You, you said here that we spoke strategically, we empowered each other and we just knew that one day COVID-19 will be a thing in the past. Um, 
And I know that must be particularly hard to have such a fond conversation with someone and, and then realize that, you know, the things that they were saying were kind of masking an actual struggle that was existing. Um, and especially when, you know, like I said, we're going through this very new thing, this COVID-19 is this new thing. And even when we, when we got on the call, like, you know, we didn't really even know how to describe, you know, what these, this past year has been. So like from your, you know, from this experience that you had with your friend and, and also from your professional experience, in what ways can we really try to ask or, you know, really targeted questions to the people in our lives, especially those that we might be concerned about in their mental health, you know, in order to kind of pull that out of them a little bit more? Like, I know it might be just hard in general, but in, in what ways can people kind of go the extra mile uh, for their friends to really try to make sure that there's not anything that they're missing to make sure that they're really, you know, um, having a, a really in-depth conversation? Mm. That is a good question. So I guess I would first start with looking at the big picture. So it would all depend on how, how much you know about this friend, like if it's a distant yeah. friend or if it's a close friend. So usually if it's a close friend, we as friends are more aware of like anxieties, you know, mm -hmm. depression or other things that may be going on. So then it's a little bit easier to cater the conversation to that. Yeah. Um, but friends that we don't particularly know, um, you know, they're in and out in depth, we can ask leading questions related to every system in their life. So a lot of things I learned like in my grad program were through a systems perspective. So basically it states that like each, each like one person has multiple systems in life. So like my family, work, you know, activity, X, Y, Z, it's all a specific system. And then all, if they all are working and functioning together, then I am working and functioning as an, as a human being regularly. Mm -hmm. So, but if one system or two systems or all systems in someone's life are not working effectively, it will show in their actions or things like that. So if it's a friend that we're not particularly very close with, we can start by saying, how has work been? Mm -hmm. Have things been stressful at work? You know, if there is someone who likes to play soccer or play basketball, how have things been, have you been able to play soccer? Have you been going to the gym? Like blah, blah, blah. And they say that. Mm -hmm. uh, have you talked to your parents if they're close with their family? Like, how are you and your boyfriend? All these different systems in their life that all work and, you know, keep them afloat per se. So yeah. with asking all those questions, it will be able to tell you, okay, so work is going fine. You're still able to play soccer. You and your boyfriend are arguing, but you're still doing your um, arts and crafts that you like to do on Etsy. Mm -hmm. So, okay, all your systems are working well but you and your boyfriend have been arguing because you guys have been in the same environment for way too long. Mm. Okay, so now I see that's where that stress might be coming mm, from. And then okay. check back and say, okay, these are the five systems that this person has. Let me ask, let me ask the loaded questions again. How's soccer? How's this? Okay, the relationship with her boyfriend's getting better. She's talking to her mom regularly. Work is good, but now the gym is closed. She can't play soccer. Okay, mm. so what have you been doing? Have you been going on a walk? Have you been playing outside? Like, what have you been, stuff like that. You know, I think yeah. we as friends, um have have trouble you know looking at people's lives from different perspectives but mm -hmm. if you really look at it from a system's perspective you're always going to be able to tease out what the issue is if you yeah. know that person's system you know yeah so that's I, that's I love that yeah no I really love that that process of looking things from a looking at things from a systems uh oriented way I do you have talk one more thing Sorry. go ahead oh go ahead absolutely and I and I also think one thing that may help you guys is like um since a lot of us have large friend groups, trying not to like um, 
attack like because everyone has like a friend system so like for me I only I really don't keep a lot of friends because that's just me personally Mm -hmm. but like so like I I have obviously separate friendships with each person so like each person like prefers a different kind of like um consistent conversation or consistency in general so like I have one friend that like you know she she and I both like quality times what we'll do sometimes is like on a random weekend we'll just drive to like a city maybe like get a hotel stay overnight and then not do anything like just watch Mm -hmm. movies the whole time or like you know get our toes done and then like that kind of thing or I have a friend that like he he and I bond over like different kind of like cultural dishes so he'll say like oh I made this like blah 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 or I say I made that we exchange dishes we talk for a little bit that's that you know what I mean so everybody I think everybody just needs to um, pay attention to their niches and Mm -hmm. also be able to advocate for what they need from their friends sometimes and like Mm -hmm. also being okay with like not always be able to receive that from that friend in that moment but Mm -hmm. figuring out how to get that need met definitely and I definitely hear what you're saying about kind of having to like understand if you if you won't be able to get that need met in your moment because you know like like we said everyone is going through their own challenges with this pandemic you know there's and there's a very large range of what those challenges could be in this in this pandemic so it's like you know it's I've also had to acknowledge like you know this person who we might have talked very consistently did, did you know a lot more you know, they might need a little bit more time or maybe they're enjoying their quiet time, their alone time a little bit more like that and kind of having to give people the certain space to to really just process because this has just been a lot to like work through and think about throughout the day to day. So definitely get what you're saying there. In your second part, you were talking about uh, pain and guilt and you, we spoke through a little bit like, you know, from a professional perspective, kind of, you know, what your thoughts were or kind of how that guilt played out or how you were able to process that from like your perspe- professional perspective. In this like, you know, age of the pandemic, one thing that I, I always say or the piece of advice that I can always give is kind of being able to give people grace or give yourself grace for, you know, the things that you have missed, the things that may have slipped through the cracks or just, you know, not being able to be 100%. I think it's been a lot or very difficult to just give ourselves grace just for the everyday, you know, maybe not having the most productive work day if you're working from home or just not being able to reach out to all your friends and family at a certain time. And that's just like pandemic, like, you know, guilt. But for you, like really, how was it, you know, going through this in the midst of COVID-19 and just trying, especially earlier in COVID-19, this was summer of 2020 when things were a little bit more frantic in COVID. Um, But, you know, how was it really dealing with COVID guilt in general, or just, you know, how hard it was to find that self-accountability in COVID versus now this very traumatic, you know, experience that came with its own set of guilt? Um, It was a balancing act. I think what I didn't notice or what I, I guess what I not overlooked, but didn't realize is how hard um, COVID itself was on people in general. Mm. Um, You know, we would have conversations, you know, candid conversations just about work and things like that. Um, and we talk about, like I said, the past administration and, you know, he had specific um, feelings about that that were of disdain and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting is that you never really know how somebody is being affected by those things that they touch on if they don't go into depth about it. You know, mm-hmm. if it's just casual conversation, brushing it over, you know, I'm like, oh, okay, you know, yeah, I feel the same way. 
X, Y, or Z, but you don't really understand how deep that goes. Mm. Um, and sometimes it's difficult because people don't want you to know how deep it goes because a yeah. lot of times they don't want to project onto other people or they don't yeah. want other people to see them as, you know, X, Y, or Z kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But I would say it is, it, it's very difficult. And I think that COVID-19 in general is very anxiety driven because like we're living, but there's no end in sight. You know, it's not like- yeah we're all chronically ill and it's like okay a condition like this can either last for two years or people pass away prior to like you never know and I think that's where the anxiety strikes and is you know alluding over people you know definitely and you mentioned in this part about how you have a therapist and you were you already had an therapist therapist playing an active role in your life um to help and, and aid you with this going through this process if you want if you can speak to you know a little bit of how you know important or how fundamental therapy has been uh, for this experience but just in in the greater in the greater scheme of things how necessary therapy has been uh for you yeah i mean therapy has been has worked wonders just on my mood in general mm-hmm. i actually started seeing my therapist in march march or april like right after the pandemic hit mm-hmm. interesting enough um, I found her on Psychology Today and I gave her a call maybe at like the end of January, maybe around this time last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was excited. I'm like, okay, I found like a black therapist in my area, you know, cool. And um, I got the voicemails. I left a message and like after a few weeks, I was getting discouraged. Like, oh, what if like her client list is full or, you know, and then she randomly called me back maybe in March and was like, hey, I apologize. My assistant, um, you know, found another job. So I've been swamped. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, okay. You know, so then she gave me like intake paperwork. I was right, you know, like, I'm excited. I'm excited. Yeah. So because I feel like I was like, you know what, all that's going on right now, like, I need this, you know. And at that time as well, there was some like nuances going on within my relationships as well. So I was like, oh, mm-hmm. I need to talk about this. I need to mm-hmm. talk about this. Yeah. And as well, like, I, um, I can be very explosive. Like, when I do get upset and things like that, so I'm like, I gotta work on that. Gotta work yeah. on that. It was like a list of like seven things. And she looked at, she's like, wow, like, I'm like, yeah, I'm ready, you know? So um, it's just been helpful. Like, I mean, I, I feel different. I feel, I wouldn't say I feel like a different person because I'm still the same person, but I feel more contained, like mm. um, emotionally sound. As you know, you know me. So like, I can be very, very, very explosive. Like just, and it's, sometimes it takes nothing, you know, it took mm-hmm. nothing for in the past. Yeah. But now I'm, you know, working on managing my emotions and managing like, what really matters and what doesn't matter you know I think when I think because a lot of uh, my emotion my emotionality is like fear-based or either so it's either like it's usually triggered like if I don't feel if I feel what what word am I trying if if I feel like for take it for granted Mm -hmm. or if I feel like someone doesn't appreciate what I'm doing or if I feel like threatened there is if I feel like you're you're not taking like people are not taking an interest in like all that I'm doing kind of thing Mm. that's like what I'm like oh like it's really it's really yeah it's it's really just being taken for granted in quotation marks and (laughs) things like that but I mean that's that's and a lot of it is like obviously me projecting and then also like I feel that way but they may not mean it that way yeah but like it takes nothing I'm like 
you know, and then yep. so that was me in the past, you know, I'm a work in progress, you know, so you're growing. Yes. Right. We're, <laughs> we're not toxic. You know, we're just, mm-hmm. you know, a little bit, a little bit tired sometimes. We move. That That's great. And, and, you know, I think I, I can relate to a lot in, in terms of my therapist. I think it's been a really, you know, positive, positive shift I've seen in myself. And I remind myself that, you know, progress is not linear. Like there's times where I go into therapy and I feel amazing. There's times where I kind of feel kind of iffy. I know I'm about to start up with a new therapist in February. So I had one from 2018. I stopped going like end of summer of this past COVID. And it was only for the most part, because I kind of wanted to explore different types of therapy. Like this one is a licensed LCSW. Um, I think you're familiar with the acronyms in this world. Um, is that what you do? LCSW, licensed yes. clinician. So, okay, yes. She was a so LCSW, I'm, yes. Yeah, so I'm a licensed social worker, which is like the notch right below the LCSW. So mm-hmm. like, for me, if I were to get an LCSW, I'd have to have like 2000 supervision hours to then sit for that test mm, and then get okay. that. Yeah. Okay. And they're, they're like, you know, in my, in my experience, top notch, like, you know, they can, they partner with um, insurance companies and stuff like that. Yes. And, you know, my therapist is not an LCSW. She's an LPC, which I still, you know, I like her. She's mm-hmm. awesome. She's great. Um, but LCSWs are very, very, very well educated. So yeah, no, she woo she woo. was amazing, and she and she was Nigerian. So I was able to find find one that really related. But I know uh, specifically, like you know, I've really struggled, especially when I started working. I really saw, you know, at firsthand, you know how you know bad my anxiety can get, kind of like debilitating. Like you know, I can't really move. Like I like I need to be moving. So uh, now I'm seeing, or what, what I will be seeing is a psychiatrist. Um, so I think that there, I know they can like prescribe medication, which is not necessarily what I'm looking for. Um, mm-hmm. But I was just like, okay, well, let me just try their their way. I know every th- therapist has kind of a different way that they go about it. So I'm like, let me just try mm-hmm. a new one. Um, and, you know, I think uh, I'm actually really excited about it. I was filling out my intake forms last week. I was like, okay, she got some good questions on here. She really wants to figure out about my life. So I was, I was really excited about that. But, you know, how, what were those, those first couple of sessions like after this experience happened? Like, did you feel as though the progress that you were making had been in some way, had been in some way in any way rolled back? Or was it, how, how was that first couple of sessions? The first couple of sessions were, they were decent. Um, at that time I was going uh, month to month, I think. And like mm-hmm. as needed throughout the weeks, if I needed it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wouldn't say that the progress of my sessions were stunted because actually like a lot of my sessions were centered around like relationships. So mm-hmm. like, you know, figuring out like how to find the love that you want, mm-hmm. like in your life, figuring out like different ways of like self-love related mm-hmm. to self-care and like how like really like, moving into your purpose as a person will then assist you with like finding who you will most likely maybe be attached to or uh, with together. So that's what my main focus on was on for therapy for like some months. Mm-hmm. So then when this occurred, actually, I really didn't want to talk about this much in therapy. Mm-hmm. Like, not that I didn't want to talk about it. I, I talked to my therapist, I processed it. And that was enough for me. Like, I didn't really okay. want I didn't really want my therapy to be centered around it because I understood it, mm, you know, like I yeah. understand suicide. I understand 
co-occurring disorders. I understand childhood trauma. I understand all of it. You know, it was hard to, it was hard to understand and fathom that physically it was, it was the reality, Mm. but like emotionally and mentally, like I understood it and I, and I could resonate with the process. It was just difficult emotionally for me to like not have my friend there texting like, Hey, blah, blah, blah. Did you see this? This is crazy type of thing. That was the the hardest thing. So like, I didn't have trouble processing that because, you know, it, it's no longer tangible, you know, and I had to like accept that. But in relation to regression, I did regress, um, probably like regressed in specific areas that I was working on Mm -hmm. in relation to like, like being explosive and stuff like that. Actually, so shortly after like his funeral, I had popped off on a friend, mm-hmm. you know, saying, you know, just say wild stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, I, I was triggered, like I said earlier, about mm-hmm. feeling taken for granted. So mm. it's, it's always, it's, it always is a center. Like a I don't know. I have to talk about, I have to talk about parents. Like was I like this when I was a kid? But <laughs> uh, so yeah, it, the situation is very candid. Um, just long story short, like um, it was really actually that like the same day of his um of his funeral actually, um. My friends were like, okay, well, we're going to go out, you know, take your mind off or whatever. Cool. I'm like, all right, cool. So then like, I struggle with like, okay, if that is your intention, that's the intention, mm-hmm. then that's what it should be. Like, I don't, cause I'm very intentional. Yeah. So like, if like, okay, we're celebrating my friend, this is what we're doing. Like, that is how it goes. Like yeah. n- nothing, nothing, nothing else is going to infiltrate what I have planned because this is it, you know, yes. not everybody's that way. And I have to accept that. Yeah. So we were there and it was like, I was around my friend, my other close friend. And then it was like, all these people I didn't know around me. And I was getting like fired up. Like, okay. So like if the intention yeah. was for this to be something to get someone's mind off of us, sad situation why are the people around me that I don't know yeah you know yeah. that's, that's I can weird. see that can be really un- uncomfortable so then I popped off you know right I popped off as as always right mm-hmm. and I was like you know saying stuff blah blah, blah. And then it became this big thing and I'm like look like that a part of that was my fault and I take full accountability for that because I was in no way shape or form ready to be around people in that capacity at all mm. so I'm actively grieving and I'm in a social environment where I'm like, okay, so in a normal social environment without grieving, I pop off. So why wouldn't I pop off when I'm grieving a loss and I'm in a situation that I can't handle? You know what I mean? Yeah. So I take, I take accountability for that. So it was definitely like, I definitely saw it like, okay, well, I shouldn't even been there in the first place. You know, you should have just stayed home or did something else because you know, you want to, you want to feel okay. But then when you're there, you're like, whoa, I'm really not okay. So yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna see you guys in a month or two. That's, that's true. Like sometimes you really don't, you don't know, like none of us has this full exhaustive list of all of our triggers. None of us do. Some of them, like you literally have to get triggered to now know, okay, well, I'm not, I'm not hundred percent there. And I think there was a lot of moments in my, you know, journey through therapy. Cause like, like you mentioned, like I'm in therapy also trying to navigate certain relationships against certain, you know, ways that I handle and contain certain, some of my emotions. And it was like, you know, just along the way in this two-year journey, there's been ebbs and flows, I'll say, like times where it just feels a lot more cohesive. I feel like I'm having positive, you know, relations. I'm maintaining my relations very positively. And then, you know, something like an, an outside force, a bad day, you know, you know, just something will build up and it will kind of like, you know, 
I'll see, I'll see for firsthand. Cause I think when you're in therapy, it's like, you now know exactly what you're doing. You know, when, when you're fucking up a little bit, you know exactly what you're doing. So it's like, you'll see, and it's just like, damn, I gotta go back to Dr. Christina <laughs> and tell her what I was out here fucking around. Um, but it, it's, it's, you know, like I, I mentioned in the beginning, progress is not linear. And I think if anything, this COVID-19 period has taught me that um, so much, so much. But so right. we were talking about, oh, part three here is about anger and bargaining. And you mentioned that, you know, it says here, uh, after multiple failed attempts to reintegrate into my normal day-to-day life, I removed attention from instances that familiar, familiarly provided unnecessary stress. So what did that look like for you? What things were you having to step away from? And, you know, for how long, you know, or when did you realize you were ready to step back into certain things? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, when I look at that, I really do think that, like, I stepped away from, like, everything, you know, I mean, I was going to work daily, um, but a lot of friendships that, or different, uh, you know, different things that go on day to day, like, or, like, you know, your friend at work is stressed about this, or this friend's stressed about that, like, Mm -hmm. this friend's stressed about this, usually I'm the I'm the one like to absorb it, like, oh my gosh, what's going on? Mm-hmm. Like, let's talk about it. They text me, oh, blah, blah. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry to hear that, but mm-hmm. I can't chat right now. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or it's like, they call me, I'm like, I don't want to talk. You know, yeah. just having to be very, because I'm a blatant, very blatant person anyway, but I had to be like super blatant. Like, they would check on me, checking on me, like, hey, how you doing? I'm like, I'm good, you know, sad today, but mm-hmm. we move, you know, mm-hmm. we'll see how we feel tomorrow type of thing. Yeah. And it was nice because people noticed that. So they didn't bring unnecessary stress when it wasn't needed or mm-hmm. they didn't bring like oh I'm sad about this today because you know I stepped in you know dog poop or something like you know there was no arbitrary like co- like there wasn't any arbitrary conversation around that you know yeah. it was always like hey how are you just checking on you but this what's going on you know and I feel like um but at other times some people were not socially aware in those moments and didn't realize mm-hmm. like I'm still actively grieving so I'm not going to talk to you yeah that's it like you know it's simple so I think people started to get that concept as well but um yeah I mean I think it's hard because and I also one thing I had to learn was like not to put like my emotional expectations on other people Mm -hmm. because for a while I was upset like oh like so-and-so hasn't checked on me to see how I'm feeling about this like this Mm -hmm. person hasn't checked on me to see how I'm feeling about this this person hasn't checked on me to see how I'm feeling about this I was feeling like some kind of way but I'm like you know what like I'm one with my emotions and at the end of the day I cannot put my emotional stability in anybody else's hands but my own. Yeah. So it would it be nice for X, Y, Z to check on me the way I check on them? Absolutely. But do I expect those people to be like me or to be me? No. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I had to put different things in different categories because I'm not going to then start to stress about people not checking on me. Instead, I'm just going to check on myself. Mm-hmm. That's what it has to be because mm-hmm. I can't put, I can't put, interventions or expectations in other people's hands because at the end of the day I'm in control of my emotions I'm in control of how I feel and if I feel that I need more I have to go and get it I can't expect anybody to do that for me definitely definitely so you brought up a couple of really good points here um in in knowing kind of that you need to walk away from certain situations certain conversations that are just not conducive towards your healing and you mentioned that you would kind of just have to tell people I don't want to talk right now you know I know you, you, you are a little bit more of a straightforward person. You're very, very much like how it is, how it is. Um, Mm -hmm. But I guess, you know, how, even in, in like a 
you know, going through just regular COVID and not really wanting or having the energy to maintain certain conversations that you used to have, you know, what advice or can you speak to a little bit, you know, how to really set those boundaries with people who are so close, it might maybe even family sometimes, how to set those boundaries in a way that's still positive and and, um, to really get an understanding from the person you're setting that boundary with? Great question. Um, I'm all about boundaries and I love them. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I'm di- it's difficult for me to set boundaries with some certain people, but I love boundaries in general. I love the conversation. For me, what I do, like I, I go through this all the time because like I have different relations in my life that I have to consistently set boundaries weekly almost. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And to me, I'm like, okay, I've known you for X, Y, or Z time. Why don't you know that I don't do this? Why don't yeah. you know that? This is not how I converse. Why don't you know? I ask all those questions and I'm like, Kuna, cut it off. Mm, Wait, mm. look at the text message. What did the text message say? Why are you irked about the text message? Mm. Because a lot of times we get ourselves, we get ourselves pre-irked before like we can even answer the question. I do it all the time. Mm, So I read the question, like, what am I irked about? Okay, they ask this. Okay, so answer the question. Do you have availability or are you not available? I say, I'm not available. The person, okay, cool. I'm like, so why was I just pre-irked about that? For us, we we set those boundaries by like processing our emotions prior to engaging in it. Like, mm. so someone calls you, it's like, oh, okay, I need you to do blah, 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 blah. In the moment, you can't hang up and be like, oh, like I'm irked right now. I'm not going to talk to you. But like in those moments, say, hey, like um, I'm busy right now, but I'm going to call you back and let you know like what I think, you mm. know? Boundaries with friends are a little bit easier. Boundaries with family is a little bit harder Mm. because I think there's some type of, obviously every family system is different, but there's always some type of like obligation. Yeah. Um, so that, that's a little bit difficult, but in general, like, I just like to set boundaries, like, and eventually once you respond consistently the same way for a while, people will start to peep like, Oh, okay. Mm. She doesn't, this is not what she likes. This is not how she communicates. That was a good piece of advice. That's going to hold me over until I get to therapy next week. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to talk about the stage four, which was depression, and then kind of wrap it up talking about the last three stages, which are the upward turn, reconstructing, and and really finding acceptance and hope. So in terms of uh, the depression um, you said, you mentioned here that it presented a deep sadness and uh, the understanding or the not understanding at the same time existed. And I think mm-hmm. that's something that, you know, we're struggling even in our day to day in this COVID world where it's like, you know, we have this, this surface level of understanding, but how you mentioned earlier in this call, it's like, we don't really know how long this is going to be, when it's going to be over. We don't really, we don't, there's a lot that we don't know here at the same time. And I guess, you know, how 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 has when you were writing this or when you were going through it how was that balance versus now on this stage that balance between okay well you still don't really exactly know why this happened the way it happened but you know this is what it is like what was that thought process when it was happening versus now months after yeah so I guess like relation to understanding and not understanding like I understood it but I didn't understand like why it had to happen like to him you know okay that was mainly like what I was grappling with but um I would say it is it is very difficult and like I I was really glad that the depression the depression stage didn't manifest 
in the way that I, I it could have. Because um, like, I've been depressed before and I know what that feels like and looks like and it's like very self-destructive and yeah. I just, you know, don't wish that on anybody kind of thing. So that stage was actually not so bad because like it was more of like um, like a solemn, like I said, solemn sadness, like underlying. Like I could still function throughout the day. I went to work, I did my meetings, you know, talked to people, did what I needed to do, mm-hmm. but I was still sad. You know, I would cry sometimes randomly at work if I was like writing a report and you just crossed my mind. I think. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I still do like randomly, but I don't, I don't cry as much as it kind of like get sad a little bit. Uh, but I'm really glad that like the depression itself wasn't a deep depression mm-hmm. um, because I had those interventions in place, like with my therapist and different things of like how to cope with different, different tra- tragedies in general that it didn't hit me as hard as it probably would have if it happened a year ago. Definitely. So, definitely. Like a year prior, should I say. Yeah. And, and you mentioned that, you know, that understanding that, you know, it's okay to not be the same person after a loss. How do you really reconcile with that? Like, you know, with knowing that, you know, because of this external force, this dramatic loss, I am changed. And I that doesn't mean that I have lost you know, necessarily have lost any part of myself, but now there's this bigger bubble of grief that's now consuming me or consuming my, my headspace at that time. Could you speak yeah. to that a little bit more? Yeah. So honestly, when I wrote that, I was actually kind of shocked, like profound, like I wrote that because I'm like, I didn't know that's how I felt until I wrote it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So like for me, like, like it, it's okay to not be okay. And quotation marks to me just means like, it's okay to like, be affected by this forever yeah. you know it's okay to be sad about it forever you know it's okay to miss this person forever I think a lot of times in grief and death a lot of a lot of people like society tries to speed up that process like okay the seven stages of grief like you're in grief counseling like you know you're still sad about this you know at the end of the day like there are people that you know there people never get over a loss you know yeah. what I'm saying it's so, like for yeah. me it's okay for me I accepted the fact that like it's always, it's always going to hurt to see a picture of him, you know, even mm. though I have a small picture of my car, but like, if I see a candid picture of him and his family, like, that's always going to hurt. And that's mm-hmm. okay. Mm-hmm. You know, like, remembering things from, you know, college and stuff, like, those are, they're always, they're always going to hurt to some extent. It's always, it's a loving memory, mm-hmm. but they might always hurt. And that's okay. You know, mm-hmm. it's okay for me not to want to, you know, have an extensive friend group because, of maybe what occurred or how I see things manifesting yeah. and that's okay yeah. you know it's it, it's okay to it's okay to make those decisions for yourself if you know that they're going to benefit you it's okay you know mm-hmm. like so that's what I was really trying to get at like you know it's okay to have those sad days it's okay to cry if you haven't cried about it in three years you know mm-hmm. and I think a lot of people don't give themselves like you said the grace or the space to really feel those emotions mm-hmm. definitely um you know, so it's it's okay to feel guilty. You know, it's okay to feel sad. It's okay to feel acceptance. Like all those stages of grief. Like I went I went through all of them, and I started back at the top. I went through all of them mm-hmm. again when I started back at the top. Or wow. I started number four, then go to seven, and then go to three. Like you know, yeah. every day is different. You know, but having that guide was helpful for me to know, like to put my my feelings into stages. Definitely, definitely. There, there's this one poem that I really, uh, that what you said just had me thinking about it. It's by Rumi um, and it was called, um, I believe it's by Rumi, but it's uh, it's called Guest House or House or Guest House, something like that. And they, in the poem, essentially, they're explaining that emotions, feelings are like guests in, in, in their house where it's like, you know, it's okay that they come, 
it's okay, you know, and, and it's almost like you should almost welcome them in because it's important to feel the entire spectrum of the things that you're feeling. Um, and it and it's one of the the lines what's like, you know, you might have like anger that comes in like a tornado ripping the house apart, but then it'll leave. And in the process of you rebuilding that house or, or re-putting together that home, you'll find certain delights or, you know, in that process, you'll find certain healing. So I definitely agree or I, I definitely resonate with that feeling of over, over this past year for me, really trying to make sure, okay, well, if I have a feeling, let me not just say I'm okay and try to like move forward and act like that's healing. You know, let me, you know, feel this entire spectrum and, and, you know, speaking to what you said in general, it definitely would be helpful to have a guy that at least if you're going through a bunch of different emotions, you can categorize them a little bit. You can put them in, in a systems kind of way to, to process them. So that, that I thought that that was really profound. And the last three stages, which are the upward turn, reconstruction and working through it and acceptance and hope, you're speaking um, a little bit through kind of the process that helped you get through it, which was your licensure for your social work. And I thought that was really nice because, you know, really almost coincidentally, it happened to, you know, overlap on that same amount of time, that same time where you're going through this, this, this tremendous grief, but now you have something that you're able to work towards. What, how helpful was it, you know, to really, you know, because you said over the next six to seven weeks, you would be doing like 35 hours of studying weekly. And, you know, how good of, of a distraction was that for you? Or how helpful was, was it for you to put, you know, the feelings or channel those feelings through this, uh, through this exam that you had to take? And then on the other hand, you know, would you say that that is like a, a healthy coping mechanism to try to find a, a, a goal, a hobby, something to work towards to kind of take your mind off things to distract yourself? These are good questions. So for my licensure exam, I had actually wrote a plan like the week before this occurred mm -hmm. to say I, I was, I was going to start studying August 1st and my test was on September 18th. So that gave me like the full um, the full eight weeks, seven and a half, eight weeks mm -hmm. to study. So I was already going to start studying from August 1st anyway. So like mm -hmm. this occurred and I also like started walking more and I was like, okay, I'm going to start going outside and walking and stuff like that. So mm -hmm. I was already on that study plan and I was like steadfast on that. I, like, I am not, I'm not deterring from this plan. Like I would wake up, you know, six o'clock study until like seven 30, get ready for work, come home, study again. So like mm -hmm. I said, like three hours a day, maximum, you know, do like practice questions and stuff mm -hmm. so like for me he and I would always talk because obviously he was very familiar with my social background where and he also had like a background with like social like social services and different things like that so he was familiar he would always say like you know you know you do what you do like you can tell you're passionate about it and like mm -hmm. you do such a great job and things like that so like he was already like well aware of like what I, I keep looking over because I can picture there no. but um um he was well aware of what I did so like that was also a passion for me too because reading through like the diagnoses I would like read them I'm like oh wow like this might have been what was like what was related to that mm -hmm. and like this might have been something that related to this so maybe that's what that's what was going on so maybe he needed it maybe he maybe needed a more intense form of this to help with that mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying yeah so like the studying process wasn't bad like I said I was grieving the entire time um, I was in a relationship at the time um so it was helpful kind of just to have you know, just to have my regular schedule, you know, and mm -hmm. like, if I needed to cry, I had my tissues at my desk at work, and I would just cry, like, if I was mm -hmm. tired, went to bed early, crying, like, you know, I just let myself, and it's, like I said, it's easier to do that 
because I live alone. So it's mm. like, there's not anybody uh, clocking me like, oh, like we got to go do this, we have to do that. Like once mm. I'm home, my brain is like, tick, 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 tick. it's all yeah. for like, I can do whatever I want to do at home. Yeah. So like when I was taking my exam, actually, he was like in the back of my mind, like, well, the front of my mind, really, because he was like, the way I saw him, he was um at like a track or like a football field. He liked to walk and like, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So he was there just talking. He and I were just talking. I'm like, oh, I'm taking my test, blah, blah, blah. He's like, okay, you got it, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. So I was taking my test. He's there talking to me the whole time, blah, blah, blah. And like the test is 140 questions. So I wrote like on my like whiteboard, I wrote like like the fraction 10 to under 10 each mm-hmm. time. And like every time I answer 10, I cross that, cross that, cross that. Mm-hmm. And like the last 10, I was like, all right, in my head, I'm in this, I'm in um, this, the study room is like a Pearson study session. So you have like the computer and everything like that. And I'm like, all right, bro. Yeah. Like, you know, it's the last 10 questions. Like, what are you thinking? Like, you yeah. think all right so we're talking talking about so I answered the questions and I was like okay I'm gonna submit it and I and I clicked it I clicked pass I was like you see that wow. and I was like, talking to myself they was like you see that bro and <laughs> like and like so we're just talking and stuff like that so I'm, I'm spiritual anyway so like to me that's not like weird so we're just talking I'm like I did it so it was nice yeah no so that that's that, so beautiful that was wow. like that was like the upward turn acceptance stage like that was yeah. like it for me you know what I'm saying yeah so. no that that's that's so beautiful and, and um how you were speaking to like you know your spiritual and and you know really feeling and, and having his presence there for that experience you know definitely seems just like a really way a, a really beautiful way to kind of like close that circle or just a full circle moment where now, of course, you know, he's not there. I think you spoke to that here. He's not there in his physical body, but his presence still lingered in a way that was now uh, nurturing and that was now very like positive for you. So I, I thought that was just really beautiful. And, and you, you know, a really, you know, good affirmation that you've been through these stages of grief and that you're able to now come out on the other side of acceptance and hope for moving forward. And you have this, this, almost like a token your 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 licensure um that it's almost like a, t- a token that's representative of that relationship of of the experience of him so um oh i'm so right. sorry um it's okay but that 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 it really just it's, a, it's a good circle moment oh that's good i'm happy i'm i'm, I'm happy that too. you know you were able to even come out on the other side and, and write this you know, because like I said, so many people are going through loss and, and the way you channeled it was was very, you know, not only informative for everyone else who might be going through loss, but it's, it's you know, an example of your healing too in general. So yeah, it, it's really, it's really been quite the year. And, and, you know, like I said, you know, texts like this have been, or are so necessary. This, this, I'm really excited to feature this, this specific text on the page and really, you know, let it, just let it go. Whoever it helps, you know, whatever story they see through it, then I, I pray that this will be something that they're able to really take in and that'll really be a guide for them. Yes, that's wonderful. Thank you so much. Of course, of course. Um, before we wrap up, I, I, I actually can't even remember if I had the recording on when I asked you this question first, but do you plan to continue to write? Is this something that you want to do more often going forward? Um, you know, I was thinking actually yesterday as I was today as I was driving back from like my weekend, mm-hmm. I was like, well, maybe I'll write more. Like maybe I want to be a writer. Like just 
and maybe like ebooks may be my thing because like they're short, brief, and to the point. You know, mm-hmm. you don't have to commit to too much. Mm-hmm. Um, you can really just write your thoughts down, design it how you want. Yeah. Um, I think maybe, I think maybe, maybe I'll write another text. Maybe mm-hmm. not. I don't know. I think I have to ha- I have to feel inspired, you know, and I of feel course. like this one, like inspired is like the biggest inspiration I probably ever had. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not sure what my next inspiration will be, but it would have to top this one. So definitely. I, don't know. Definitely. I mean, you know, I, I, the, the ebbs and the flows of life, like I can't wait to see what next thing expi- inspires you um, or what next the next flow that you pick up that will lead you to the pen and the paper very excited for that I mean are there any closing remarks any you know what's your most profound piece of advice for the listeners Mm. what's something that you really want to let them let them know oh this is tough okay um I guess one thing that I would always like you know bring people back to center with is just to remind everybody that like you know your hardships or things that you've gone through like don't define you as a person Mm-hmm. You know, everybody goes through difficult situations. I think how where you hold yourself and how you value yourself will ultimately show you how others how others will appreciate you and how you appreciate yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, so just always always take take advantage of you know self care and always 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 put yourself first, like emotionally, okay. physically, mentally. Like it's so important to you know refocus and to just you know, figure out what it is you need as a person to function and then do it unapologetically. If anybody is upset that you don't have time for them or if anybody's upset that you don't make time for whoever, you just simply reply like, I'm sorry, but I'm co- I come first. So whether it's my health or, you know, my children, family or whatever, or if it's like something more personal you don't want to share, it's always, it's all about you. Your life is about you. Definitely. Um, Definitely. And so always just remember that going through in different situations. Absolutely. Absolutely. That was a, a, a word because that's something that I need to constantly remind myself of. My life is about me and to all the listeners, y'all lives are about mm-hmm. yourselves. So thank you so much for coming on. This was really, really great. Like I said, uh, the um, ebook is available on Etsy.com for purchase. So I will leave uh, a link to that in my show notes. And this was Maneuvering What Remains After Suicide, The Seven Stages of Grief. Thank you so much, Akuna. Thank you.